You're listening to the Meet the Farmers podcast with me, your host, Ben Eagle. Please remember to subscribe to the show wherever you are listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 213 of the Meet the Farmers podcast with me, Ben Eagle. Pig's back on the podcast today, um, and I'm joined by Mark Jagger, who is based in Suffolk and works as Assistant Grower Farms Manager for BQP. BQP breeds and rears over a million pigs a year using a number of different systems, including outdoor-born, straw-finished, RSBCA, Freedom Food Assured, free-range and organic. They have around 30% of the UK market share, making them the largest pig farming business in Britain. Mark works to help new farmers set up their buildings and operations ready for pig enterprises. Um, he's worked in the pig sector for over 30 years in all areas from farrowing to finishing. And in 2021, he was awarded the prestigious Outstanding Contribution to Pig Welfare Prize at the RSPCA Assured Pig and Poultry Awards. Mark, there's uh, there's enough from me. Those are all your accolades. Welcome to Meet the Farmers. And it's such a pleasure having you on because I, I know for, I know for a fact you've been a longstanding listener. So it's uh, it's great to be finally having this conversation. Well, thank you, Ben, for asking me. It's um, it, it's a pleasure to be on and um, a pleasure to represent pig farmers across the UK. I listen to a lot of podcasts and quite often pig farmers don't get on, So, and poultry farmers, to be fair. It, um, it seems to be livestock is cheap and beef, and that it stops at that with a few goats thrown in. So um, thank yeah. you very much for inviting me. No, it's very true. And uh, yeah, I should actually just take the opportunity. Any pig farmers out there who would like to come on the podcast, please do just get in touch um, over socials. I would love to have more pig farmers on. So uh, please do that. But Mark, let's head over to you first. So you're not from a farming background, uh, but you wanted to work in farming from quite a young age. So let's just go through your life growing up and uh, I suppose how, how you got that farming bug in the first place. It was totally by accident. My earliest memories are in the centre of Leeds, living in a maisonette, and now being a bit wiser, you realise that the, the group of people that were sat in stairwells were actually druggies. My father was a parish priest, and he then took on Bolton cum Redmire in Wensleydale, so very much in the rural idyll of life. And at the time, the original James Herriot series, which I think is the best one, was yeah. being filmed in the village as well. So um, yeah, well. <laughs> yes, it, it was it was an interesting time. Being a parish priest, my father was allowed to send me to the church schools and I went to Ripon Cathedral Choir School, which anyone who's gone to a private school will know that you have a longer holiday than any other the state school. So I came back kicking my feet about happened to bump into a farmer on farm um, who ran a pub, the Bolton Arms in Redmire. Okay. And he, he gruffly said, don't just stand there, help me. So <laughs> me and my white green flash trainers, Dunlop trainers, stepped in the slurry and started picking the slurry up and putting it in a wheelbarrow. He was mucking out his buyer. And he talked to me, I talked to him, and he was very patient with a eight-year-old boy. And I got hooked. I just could not keep away from that farm. So I helped him on the milking. He'd got 28 um, dairy herd. 
um, cows, and it was all churn in those days. So my little job used to be to carry half the bucket of milk and put it through the cooler and then tell him when the churn was full so he could lift it up and get it ready for the lorry. I always said to myself, I'll be a man when I can lift them churns. I've never lifted a churn, so I don't believe that I'm a man yet. Not a full <laughs> churn. <laughs> so, There's still time. There's still time. There's still, there is still time, but if you can find a full churn of milk, well, then I'll give it a go. <laughs> I don't want to grow up just yet then, thanks. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's just one of the rules of life, isn't it? Never properly absolutely. grow up. I, I love that though. How uh, and actually, uh, you hear that quite a lot, actually, with um, with people from non-farming backgrounds who, who find their way to the industry, especially when that interest comes from a young age. So it's often a, a chance meeting, or or someone who goes out their way to to just say, "Hang on, come and give me a hand," or or, it, or do it, something. It was, I, th I think I think we've got a lot to learn from that. Actually, we have. I think the trouble now is that machinery is heavier, and and all the rest of it. We've got to be so careful. As a nine-year-old walking around a farmyard now you, you sort of sit there and go oh my god you know and and my, my job was to run along the cows in the middle of winter and and unchain them from the buyer and walk them to the dairy <laughs> all it had to do was lean on me and i would have been a, a flat pancake so I, I think i was very lucky to be yeah. allowed to do that but at the same time you look at you know what's happening on farm and and health and safety now with children's deaths and, and older people and, and, and young people getting caught up with machinery and cattle probably that needs to stop a little bit and definitely walking around a farmyard in the pitch black with a torch and a dark buyer is yeah. not the way for survival not so, the best idea yeah, yeah not the best idea so um <laughs> yeah and then my father moved he was an academic and a writer um so he moved to a place called saint daniel's library or gladstone library for those that don't know it it was a library set up a memorial library set up for william gladstone the prime minister um it has 40 bedrooms so if any budding writers are out there i'd suggest go and visit that place it's um it has like a little hotel attached to it and then it's a big gothic victorian building and i met ex-prime ministers david frost all sorts of people as a child um so it was it was a unique growing up experience but it was joined still to the gladstone family and they recommended to my dad that i went to work for a guy at the age of 13 and i worked for him until i was 18 till i went to uni i i'm dyslexic so my father struggled with the fact i couldn't be academic really did struggle with that fact but he helped me on my career and John and my father over a, a few glasses of whiskey one night. Basically, I sat there and listened to them as they plotted out my life. Um, I was going to be their their, dairy, their assistant manager, dairy farmer on a second farm. And they said that his son was not that well on, on animals. He was very good on machines, excellent machinery guy, real good engineer and they needed someone to second him to look after the stock so my life was planned out and john said peter i'm going to get your son to hate tractors and um, so <laughs> in, in this year if he asks to leave don't let him leave and I, and i thought oh what's going on and he said i'm going to put him on a tractor every day for a year <laughs> so I, I sat there and went yippee as a 16 year old yippee the, the massey fergie 2640 i'm looking forward to driving now i went on an international david brown 880 no cab and okay. was on that every day for 365 <laughs> days come rain snow 
scraping stock yards, rolling, turning. And then after a year, he said, are you ready to give up tractors and learn stock? And it was, yes, please. And That's he, one he way took, of doing it. It was one way of doing it. I hate tractors now. <laughs> and he just taught me to lean on gates, look at the stock properly, take them in. The fact that you're leaning and looking was not a waste of time. And, and I think that's something that, you know, you see now with people with stock, they fly through stock and they don't actually look at them properly. And, yeah. and he taught me that. He, he, he used to just sit there and say, right, tell me where, which is the sick animal? Which is the animal we need to pull out and look from the gate, see it from the gate. And then if I couldn't see it, I'd have to walk in the pen. So, yeah, my love then became sheep, bizarrely. And I stayed on there till I was 18 and then went to WAC or Welsh Agricultural College over in Aberystwyth. That was my father's part of the deal. I must go to get educated. I did an OND and barely scraped through. Um, one, Aberystwyth has many pubs, um, which <laughs> did sort of stop me scraping through, but finally got me OND. But sadly, while that happened, dairy quotas came out. Mm. Um, Chernobyl went off. Mm -hmm. Margaret Thatcher struck the northwest, so suddenly from full employment, I was in a region of 45% unemployment. Yeah. No job for me, so that night when they planned out my life had gone, ended up down in Market Harbour in the job centre. My my future wife had got a job in, in Leicester. So I was in the job centre and um, the job guy said, well, there's a corn hunt or there's Mr. Stones on a pig farm and Jagger and Stones go together. So yeah, I, I, I went for the job interview and he said, what do you know about pigs? I said, well, I've never seen one. And the only thing I remember from college was three months, three weeks, three days. And he, he just said, you got the job. <laughs> <laughs> so I started off as the pressure washer. He was employing ex-Corby steel workers. So I had a very quick throughput on the farm. And within six months, I was very lucky to be the assistant manager, but the manager of the Farron House and the Dry South. Yeah, but again, another All, chance encounter that ended up actually, in many ways, defining your career. Yes, yes, I, I would say so. And, and the whole of my career has been luck. And, and I'd say to any youngsters, if Lady Luck shines, just kick the door down with both feet. Just go for yeah. it. Don't try and plan your career do what you enjoy you'll get a passion for it if you enjoy it and then luck will give you another opportunity and head head down that way don't don't restrict yourself to what you think is just farming there's lots of opportunities out there that help farmers or help stock or whatever so just go for it and you don't have to be a farmer's son or daughter to get that yeah i think that's really said actually that that sort of leads me on to Another thought I have when you were talking about uh, your early life, really, especially with your father and his position, um, clearly a, a lot of what you do today is is about people and, and relationships. So uh, I'm guessing that that period of your life, actually, and, and his background, in some ways, that sort of, sort of preps you for that as well, in some ways. It, it, it does. I mean, it, it, it's interesting. I did toy with the idea of being a vicar, but I swear too much. Um, <laughs> and, and all the rest of it that goes with it. But everyone, every member of my family is in the service industry somewhere or another. My my eldest son, I'm very proud, is a paramedic. I, my next, my daughter is, um, or my second daughter is um, a teacher. I see myself very much in the service industry. It's a service to pigs. 
mm. and animals and livestock and also service to farmers um you know the farmers out there a lot of them don't actually see anyone from week to week to week they don't go to marts anymore they don't really go to clubs so yeah. we are counselors and bqp has taken that on board for a lot of years now we've got a lot of mental aid health mental health aid trainees and trainers and i'm one of them so we we are equipped to help people and signpost them in the right direction to get help fantastic it's important no completely just bring this back to pigs when we were prepping for this podcast you told me that uh finishing pigs is one of the most exciting things in agriculture and yeah and I, just, I, 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 just I just wanted to go go back to that and just say so, so wh- why do you mean that the, the, the whole point of a finishing pig or, or the way we do it is seven to a hundred so we take them from the sow and we take them all the way through to slaughter and that generally takes 21 weeks and you'd think well you're, you're doing well you can't improve on it but you can you can always improve and 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 pilgrims who've taken us on they're great about continual improvement they call it and so you might do something in the pig shed and in 21 weeks you will know whether that was the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do doing anything in breeding on, on the breeding side of things it takes years to know whether you've actually done the right thing or not i'm not patient enough i i, I did run a breeding herd for three and a half years i got it to the second of the tree for bows and i suddenly realized actually keeping it there was going to be bloody boring you know i'd have to do the same thing every day day in and day out and i'm not ocd like that where i like to try things did it work didn't it work yeah and, and a lot of the team i'm working with are like that so you, you get the excitement of you know trying to find the problem find an answer to the problem and then see where you get let's talk about your role at bqp um and what you do how you work with pig farmers to get them established okay originally i started 29 and a half years ago now um as a finishing fieldsman and and that job hasn't changed a great deal you have a collection of farms that you are responsible for primarily you're responsible for the health and welfare of the pig so some people sort of say you know why do you say you're the voice of the pig what you've got to remember is the farmer has his business to look after bqp has their business to look after and the pig can't speak for itself so it's very much the fieldsman's job to speak for the pig sometimes the farmer for whatever reason is maybe not looking after the pig as well as he should so you've got to tell the, the farmer you know something needs to be done or sometimes maybe you don't agree with what your company is doing in regards to the welfare of the pig and it's the fieldsman's job and when, when I say fieldsmen, I mean fields women as well, to stand up and be the voice of the pig and say, stop, we're going down the wrong track here. We need to be, and, and be brave enough to tackle your bosses and paymasters and say, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I disagree with it. And and over the years, the team have done that. And, and common sense is listened to and, and that wacky idea from someone very high up is then dropped. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, have to, you have to look after the pig. This episode is being supported by our primary sponsor, A Plan Rural. Why did I want to collaborate with A Plan Rural? Well, 
Having got to know them, their team shares my passion for giving a voice to farmers, and we are both driven to raise the profile of farming voices to a wider audience. So it seems quite a good fit. Quite frankly, together, we will be able to do a lot more. Aplan Rural do a lot of work on social media themselves, sharing farming accounts and farming stories. They have a rural community blog, which shares farmers' experiences, and they also support a growing number of initiatives that champion UK farmers, including this podcast. So a big thank you to Aplan Rural for supporting Meet the Farmers. Bring this back to the bring this to the, the pig sector, I suppose, in general. Um it's uh, it's been it's always a roller coaster, really, isn't it? But it's it's been a particular bit of roller coaster the last few years. Um, looking to the future, do you see uh, do you see that the sector as a whole sort of staying roughly where it is at the moment, uh, declining I, or, or or moving forward and expanding? I, I think it'll change. Um, sadly, to you know, if, if you're a youngster and you want to set up an indoor breeder finisher unit you have to win the lottery to actually do that. And I don't think any banks would actually give you the loans to set yeah. one of those up. So I think the days of the independence, sadly, are much more difficult to achieve. Um, you're down to sort of probably three or four very big pig companies. One is ourself, as you say. And that's probably the safer way to get into the industry to take out the dips. The, the way our business is run, the farmer doesn't get affected when the pig price is low or when the pig price is high. So you could say, you know, we, we, we smooth it all out. They get a, a standard income coming in on a monthly basis. So it's very much like the old fashioned milk check. The yeah. farmer can use that as part of his cash flow. It's always interesting. Uh, most of our farmers are arable men um, and do a damn good job at, at looking after pigs. The breeding farms are little independence, but we generally have ownership of the pigs. And then we have advisors that go around and help them out. But the arable guys always want a increase on pig money when wheat price is high. And they always forget that when the wheat price is high, the pig price is high, we're losing money. Yeah. Uh, so when things are dreadful, the, 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 the arable guy sort of likes the pigs because it gives them a cushion. It gives the yeah. business a cushion to get through the, that hard time. Yeah, yeah, which is why why the two well one of the reasons why the two have gone gone, gone together for so many years. Isn't so it? many years, yeah, and 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 I think the the other thing when you talk about new builds and and conversions and stuff like that, it's usually arable farms that have that collateral of money. They certainly have a more business mind to them. You know, if, if it was going to be growing lupins next year and and they could earn a lot of money on it, they would skill up, they would buy yeah. the kit, and they would go and do it. And it's the same with the pigs. If if actually on the cash flow it looks right to do, they don't hesitate. They crack on, get on and do it, and then rely on us and our team to teach them the skills of, you know, receiving a thousand, two thousand pigs suddenly in one day. Um, it's a very steep current learning curve for that farmer. But that's our job. Now, you know, yeah. my job's no longer as a fieldsman, but I'm very close to the team. And they are assessed and appraised on how well that farmer does. So if the farmer has a bad batch, rest assured, the fieldsman gets a bit of a, a bollocking about that because yeah. it shouldn't have happened. Um, mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the system's fairly good. My job is really to go out and see these guys originally. And there's thousands of farmers I've seen in the UK. And assess the buildings that they're maybe looking to convert and do a very good conversion that will get us a good FCR and a low mortality, low drug use. And then 
give them a cash flow because that it is cash flow that's king i've got to put down a cash flow how much it's going to convert what their returns will be and then they can make a good educated decision on the back of that whether they want to do it because they've got to go and see a bank manager and get a loan and and most conversions now are somewhere in the region of 150 to 200 pound a pig place so you're looking at 150,000 200,000 you're not you haven't got that in your back pocket in terms of sort of geographical coverage, I'm guessing you're, you're talking mostly East Anglia, uh, oh, no. No, East, no, no, no. East Coast, Yorkshire, but, but, you, but you're, you're, you're nationwide, aren't you? We, we are. I mean, my, my area that I'm asked to look into is Surrey, Kent, Essex, right the way through East Anglia, all the way through the Midlands to the yeah. east. Is it the, no, sorry. Yeah, the east of the M6. So then okay. going right the way up to the Scottish border. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty busy then. Um, it, it, it's why I listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> you drive up to Northumberland, you're on the road for a long time. That makes sense now. Uh, let's turn to welfare, um, which is clearly a core focus for you. You've already mentioned that sort of voice of the pig idea. We think about welfare quite a bit in, in different sectors, but I mean, what does high welfare or good welfare mean from a pig farming perspective for you? I, I, in a way, I hate the term high welfare because the public attach that to straw-based. Mm. And I think it, welfare is high welfare is really about the man, not the buildings that the animals are in. I've seen some slatted farms that have got very high welfare. And, you know, the guys are on top of the game and do a really good job and look after the animals and love the stock. And, you know, that goes to the farrowing crate and everything else. So that I, I think that... It's a, it's a bad term because it gets attached to the straw-based finishing site. And believe you me, in 30 years of being in the pig industry, I've seen some appalling straw-based finishing sites as well as some appalling slatted-based. Yeah. Um, so I think that it, 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 high welfare, it, to me, is about the man and then looking at the stock. It's, a, it's generally a guy who's or a lady who's quite OCD about everything they do. So mm -hmm. if there is a problem, is there a health issue? They don't sort of say, I'll see what tomorrow brings. They they crack on, sort that problem, get on with it. And I think one of the things that's important in a high welfare is to know when to draw the line on that animal when it's suffering and actually euthanize it promptly. It's a bit in the sector that's not talked about um, by anyone. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's becoming more important within the pig industry i think because of the the rules and welfares that you can transport animals and the speed they grow you don't have the opportunity to put them in a corner and let them get better and i've seen that happen in other sectors where i've gone on farm and, and quite frankly you know the animals will get better but it's actually not getting any pain relief it's just sat in a, a miserable corner and and you know you say to the farmer shouldn't you euthanize that you know should should you really give up on that and other sectors are maybe a little slower on that. They think they're high welfare because it's going to get better. But actually, if it's going to get better and it's in pain, it needs pain relief as well. So to me, high welfare, forget Red Tractor, forget Freedom Foods in a way. It's about giving that animal as much as it needs. The, the standards of Red Tractor and the standards of Freedom Foods, we need to bear in mind are the minimum standards. If you're going to be high, high welfare, you're going to be way above the minimum standards. So it's, it's, to me, it's always looking at 
a happy animal is a healthy animal and a healthy animal will make you money. And that I don't think has really changed. And that's high welfare. A happy animal, be it happy mentally, happy healthy, getting enough clean water, um, good food, regardless of whether it's a pig, chicken, sheep, cow, it will do well. It'll stay healthy and then it will grow quickly and it'll make you money. Mm. Is that something else? Yeah, no, that's great. You um, you mentioned water there. And this uh, more recently has taken up quite a bit of your bit of your time. Yeah, I'm sure. You'll tell me more about. I mean, tell me more about water, water tank hygiene, and and why it's so relevant and important for pig welfare. Yeah, it's. Um, I hate the word, the term specialist or expert, but that's what I seem to have become now in in water <laughs> by default. By <laughs> default, yeah, I've got no no letters behind my name. It's um, basically getting it wrong, getting wet, and realizing don't do that again. It started with a high end retailer turning around to us and saying, "We don't like the way you put any medicines into the pigs," and 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 to just let your listeners know if you have a herd of pigs that are very ill we have to medicate them through the water historically it was the food but it might take seven days for the food to arrive so if you pop it in the water you can get your meds to the pigs quickly and hopefully stop having poorly pigs so historically that's been done by mixing your medic medication up it's worked out by a vet and you then dose what you call the header tank which is generally a thousand litre tank, the pigs will drink that out in a day and you repeat the process. And this retailer said, well, it's not really 21st century. It's a bit hit and miss. And we, we were inclined to agree with them. So we looked at different systems. Um, and unfortunately, most of the systems require pressure. So up to three bar of pressure. Um, and of course, when you're using a header tank, you've got no pressure. You've got... Yeah. What other bar if you're lucky? So I, I, I stumbled across this guy, Dosing Solutions, who had a peristaltic pump attached to a turbine. And as the turbine spun, it calculated how many litres an hour going down the water line and it injected a liquid, um, be it meds or be it a cleaner, down that water line um, to a precise, accurate dose. So it was really modern. And the great thing about it at the time was it was live. So you could actually go to your computer, we didn't have mobile phones then that worked that way, and look at exactly what the drink, the pigs were drinking at that point in time. Didn't cost a penny. And you could get the historical data, which uh, people who know me, data does drive me as well. So you could actually look at how many, how many litres a pig was drinking that day, that hour, that second. It was amazing. And this was 10 years ago. So we, we went for putting these systems in on all our farms, we decided that's what we wanted to do. The retailer wanted us to do it and they pay us a lot of money. So we want to look after them. And um, a, a certain amount of money, 450,000 pounds was allocated to do this project. I quickly realized that actually, if we got a firm in to do it, by the time they got cherry pickers, scaffolding and all the surveying that was required that form yeah, it ain't really gonna work for labor you're not going yeah. to the edit done. so i started fitting them and then a, a, a friend of mine came along an ex-brigadier um helped me do it for over 18 months 
and had a whale of a time. You you arrived on farm, you said what you were going to do, and most farmers said, right, crack on, get on with it. Granddad laid the water, I haven't got a clue what happens, and left you to it. <laughs> and, and, and we picked up the skills as we went along. And it, it was interesting because you were then talking to farmers because you were spending all day there. You weren't talking about health and welfare. You were talking about water supply and all sorts of little nuggets came out. You know, oh, yeah, that pig shed runs out of water at three o'clock in the afternoon. And and you were like, what? You know, you, you didn't know. You've been visiting the farm for years and, and they've just suddenly came out of these sort of things. So I started cutting the water lines open and, and trying to improve the, the water lines. And I was horrified. When you cut the water lines open on good farms, you had a black biofilm in there. On the really poor farms, you had a black biofilm complete with iron. Um, and in, on one particular case, 25 mil water line, I couldn't get a biro down it. It was wow. that. So I very quickly, while I was fitting these, realized we needed to do something else as well. I didn't understand what I needed to do, but it was like, you know, BQP was saying they were the best. And actually when you cut into the water line, we were far from the best. So I got quite passionate about it really and started looking at things. Came across a company uh, that supplied a cleaner um, now called Huasan. So started using that and it actually started removing the stuff in the pipeline and cleaning it out. And the important thing was it wasn't slaking it off the pipes and dropping it behind the filter and then blocking the thing. It dissolved everything in there. So it was an easier way to use. It's a product you don't definitely don't want to get on your hands because it's um, hydrogen peroxide and silver nitrate. Um, I think my hands have become quite immune to it now. <laughs> it's just, I, mean, it, I mean, it doesn't burn. It just itched like hell for about five minutes. So we started on that, but it, I think... The problem was within BQP, it was just wittering on and, oh, God, he's going on about water again. Oh, <laughs> in the corner, leave him to it. It was interesting because I was going around the country with AHDB talking to everyone and they were taking it on board. BQP would just start, Mark, <laughs> shut up, please. Um, and, and then we got taken over by Pilgrims, um, who, for those that don't know Pilgrims UK, it's part of Pilgrims America, who are part of JBS. So they are the world's biggest food organization going, employing, I think it's 125,000 people. So we're a very small drop in the pond. And they have a specialist that comes round um, and he's 72 years old and full of beans and vigor. And he goes all, around, all the way around the world and, and throws things out for us to start to think about. And, and the first thing he said was, because in America that they, they do poultry, um, they own Moy Park over in Britain. And one in four chicken is one of theirs in America. So they, they know their job. And the chicken guys are very much about clean water. So he said, I want you to monitor your water, how much they're drinking every day, and check the cleanliness. And to me, that was music to my ears. I was like, yippee, I've been going on about this for seven years, okay. and now you're going to have to do Finally. something. Finally. Yeah, finally, someone's coming in and kicking ass. Um, the boss came along and said, well, we've got to monitor what." He showed me what he'd written, and he, he said, we've got to monitor water. I said, yeah, what about quality? Oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. We won't worry about that. Um, anyway, next visit, it was, what are you doing about quality? So we got on with quality as well. So we now monitor the water. We get a text message from every farm every day. 
and that tells us how many litres the pigs have drunk, so we know exactly how much the water the pigs are drinking. If they start going off their water for three days, we know that that is generally an inc a, a sort of indicator of poor health, something's starting to get onto those pigs, so we can send vets in and, and actually look at the history of that breeding herd and is it causing a problem at that point in time in the batch. So you can actually nip a problem in the bud with science as opposed to, oh, my guts tell me they've got respiratory disease or they've got mm. meningitis. You can actually do it much better. And that's actually, in a bizarre way, reduced our antibiotic usage, which is very important because at other times you can say, no, it's it, they're okay. They're drinking well. Just because they're coughing doesn't mean we need to medicate because actually looking at the water intake is is good. So you don't, mm. you don't medicate on that. And then water quality, um, we did that, and I'm very proud of the team because they took a water sample on or two water samples on every farm. And if you look at the, and, and this is what I mean by, you know, looking at the bare minimum of a, an audit, um, Red Tractor and, and Freedom Foods state, if you're a borehole, you've got to take water, a water sample at source. And that means that you take it out the ballcock, filling the header tank. It should be clean especially if it's mains water, it should be clean. What we did at source was actually out of the bottom of the header tank. And then we took another one at the end of the line. So the drinking point furthest away from the line. And interestingly enough, the worst farm was a farm on mains. Right. And bacterial loading either out of his header tank or at the end of the line was bad enough to put you in hospital then. <laughs> yeah, it, it was shocking. You know, I mean, it, it, so it, it's it's one of the older farms, and when you got talking to the farmer, it was like, yeah, I've never cleaned them tanks out, and no one's ever asked me to, and and that's our fault. We'd never we'd never done it. He, he'd come to us. He'd been with other people beforehand. So we're it's it's going to be my last water fit is um, next week. We'll go in there. We'll take all the head tanks out, pressurize the system, and then use this product so that. Actually, at the end of the line, if you felt inclined, you could stick your mouth around the drink and nipple and drink the water out of that tank um, mm. or out that water line. And that, to me, if you start looking at the pathogens that live in water, yep. you, you, you understand why RAS compliance requires you to have an air gap from your livestock to the main supply, because the, the, some of the pathogens in there can quite quickly put you in hospital. So it's... It, it, it's, it's, it's nothing I've learned. I've looked at the dairy industry and the dairy industry sat there and said, well, if we give the cows clean water, we get X number of litres <laughs> back. Exactly. Um, so I just moved that to the pig industry and, and you, you looked at some farms and they were, you take a young, naive pig in to that farm and you can't work out why it keeps breaking down with scour. But actually when you take a water sample and find that it's full of E. coli, well, excuse me, but no shit, Sherlock. Why, why, why are you surprised that animal's suffering? So there's your, um, there's your answer. So let's crack on and clean the water line. So, yeah, Pilgrims brought that in, and um, they it, it's continual improvement. So last fit next week, and then we'll be looking at temperature. And, again, we'll be trying to monitor the temperature 24 hours a day in certain sites to find out what's happening at the laying area of the pig. So not having a, a, a temperature probe six foot above the pig, but actually having it right down where that pig's lying. So we get the temperature, 
because all our sites are straw-based. They're naturally ventilated. We know they get very cold in winter. So what production, you know, when I was getting the, the data um, a few years ago, a minus six degree of the temperature in the night of minus six meant that the pigs drank more water the next day. Why, why did they drink more water the next day? Because they ate more. When you then look at how much they ate, and I work that across the, the whole of our company, that was 76 tonnes food it's an icing just because it went to minus six that night yeah so we've got to keep them warm if we can keep them warm we can save that 76 ton of food that's an environmental gain because it's 76 ton of food we don't have to produce we don't have to mill we don't have to deliver to all the farms so your footprint goes down that, yeah. it, that's that's why i find finishing exciting Meet the Farmers is brought to you by Rural Pod Media, the only podcast production agency to specialise in the rural sector. We're on a mission to make rural stories mainstream and help businesses, organisations and communities like you tell your story through podcasting. Podcasting is a fantastic way of connecting with your audience, whoever that might be, getting your message out there and networking with leaders in your niche. Rural Pod Media can help you by launching your new podcast or helping you with the technical side. We also provide podcast training and an audit service. If you already have a podcast, you're not sure where to take it to next. For more information or to book a call, visit ruralpodmedia.co.uk. That's ruralpodmedia.co.uk. Yeah. No, I can see that. No, I was I was going to bring that up actually. So I'm going right the way back to that early point that you made, and the point you made as well, just about continuous improvements. That is, that's a great. Well, both of those are great examples of that. It's it's getting back to the basics, isn't it? But it's looking at Absolutely. those basics in a in a technical in a technical way. I think I think the, the the problem with the pig industry is we've overcomplicated things. Historically, I know we have at BQP, we've seriously overcomplicated things. Mm. And now we're, we're stripping all that out again and, and going back to what we were doing when I first joined the company, which was let's take a pig, let's straight from mum, let's really look after it, let's keep it warm, let's give it good food, good water, and get it to slaughter as quick as possible. And, you know, you, you look at it with another one that we've done this year, We again, by accident, the, the genetics companies went for producing more and more pigs which in a strange way has produced a very aggressive pig um because they're fighting from day one to get more milk in a way so they're fighting at the feeder um the rules and regulations at um the highest welfare is 10 pigs to one space on a pig feeder i sat and looked at that and thought i think this is causing vice i think pigs are getting irritated with each other and starting a fight so instead of having five space feeder for 50 pigs by sheer accident, a farmer who I know well, we popped some eight space feeders in there. I went and visited it the following week and the, the pens that got eight space feeders, all the pigs were flat out like the old days, fast asleep, a couple of pigs eating. The ones with the five space feeders, those pigs were basically fighting and having vice, tail biting, just trying to get to food. So I thought, ah, something in this. I rang up three of our guys, it was just pre-COVID, who were building new at the time and said, I've done a calculation. If you increase from five space to eight space, it's 1% of the whole build cost. I would recommend you do it. These are my reasons why. 
And those three farms did it. And I, I, I didn't think, I, I totally forgot all about it um, through COVID. And then one day, one of the fieldsmen rang me up and, and basically swore at me a few times and said, that farm is, produ- I can't keep track of the pigs because they keep growing so quick that um, I keep get sending the pigs to overweight. It's your fault. <laughs> after another fieldsman said the same thing and there was a lot of f's put in there as well i started looking at the um the, the results and, and and the results were quite staggering that by giving the pigs three extra feeders space we'd shave 10 days to 14 days to slaughter we'd reduce the mortality and we'd actually improved on the fcr by reducing what each pig at 10 kilos per kilo of pig that pig meat he put on 10 kilos of food we saved so it was it was staggering now the old business would have said oh well let's try it on a couple more farms let's see if that works pilgrims are just let's buy the feed office and let's crack on with this because actually if we can get that much throughput through we've just created ourselves ourselves twelve thousand more pig places and, and going back to your point, where do I see the pig industry in a few years' time? I see it growing. I do see it growing. I see it growing probably through bed and breakfast or contract pig rearing, as, as, as it's like to be known, with the three big companies. The problem we have at the moment is to build new. Every, everyone knows that build cost has gone through the roof. Prior to COVID, to build a thousand place piggery was in region of 250,000. That was a greenfield site, farmer not lifting his fingers. It was just basically plug and play. Now that is 370,000. And with interest rates at 8%, um, bank managers are um, a little worried about loaning the money. So it's not going to come through new bills. Um, my focus at the moment other than water is to do conversions. So got some conversions in the pipeline, ex cattle sheds, things like that. Um, But they are staggeringly 150 pound a pig place, 200 pound a pig place, which was what we were building a new build five years ago. So it's just, yeah. But I I think with, you know, with the the farm payments going down, the government not knowing what it's going to do, diversification is one of the ways forwards. Straw-based pigs are something arable farmers are looking at, especially with all the muck that it produces as well. It improves your soil health, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it's suitable for some. Yeah. Um, so I'm, so I'm, I'm guessing it's, with all that in mind, it's it's a waiting game until the situation it, it, changes, really. It, it is. And, um, you know, you look at the pig price, I mean, I get very annoyed at the Farmers Weekly podcast. They never talk about the pig price. They talk about the sheep price and the beef price, but the pig price has been on the up for several months now. Um, and who knows? You know, in a year's time, is it going to be two pound fifty a kilo, three pound a kilo? Because worldwide, we are short of pork. Yeah, there you are, Johan and Hughes. There's a shout out for you. Hmm. <laughs> get, 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 get the pig price on. Get the pig price on, yes, please. It says me having to go on AHDB website every week, then. <laughs> Just a little more about our primary sponsor, Aplan Rural. They provide bespoke insurance cover for farms and estates. This could be for anything from tractors and machinery to a new exciting diversification venture. So for more information, visit aplan.co.uk forward slash rural. That's aplan.co.uk 
forward slash rural. Um, let's just let's start to round this out. Um, uh, as a personal question, I suppose, what piece of advice would you give your younger self knowing everything you know now? Don't worry and don't be shy. I right. was I was so shy. I was frightened to go in a room of strangers when I was 18, 23. Um, certainly wouldn't have done this. Certainly wouldn't have stood up in front of meetings. It would have... I would have gnawed my fingers off. So yeah, don't worry and don't be shy. Brilliant. Well, you definitely wouldn't know that now. <laughs> um, and I'll ask the last two questions that ask everyone when they come on the show. Uh, the first is, Mark, what is your message for the public? Um, I think with Jeremy Clarkson, the public have shown an enthusiasm for farming. Carry that on. Engage with more farmers if you can if you can't engage with them you know there's a lot of people live in the center of cities and cannot engage with farmers but they can engage with social media they can look at what's going on they can try and understand why we do things and i think also please 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 get an understanding of the labeling system i'd like to say to the government sort the bloody labeling system out as well you know you how ridiculous is it that you can put a great union jack on packaged in uk um it, it, you know let's sort all that out please and, and make it a bit of a fairer playing field but to the public we're not scary people we are passionate about what we do and we will talk the hind leg off a donkey about what we do if you ask us <laughs> that is true enough yeah and uh your message to farmers try and engage with the public more and and that's not just social media let's go back a bit if you've got a footpath going through your farm how about just plonking a post in there, laminate a piece of paper and actually say what that field is doing, what you're doing with that field, where it's going to go to. You know, there's a lot of people and, and I know it, people walking around farms is, is, you know, some people see it as a positive, some people see it as a negative. I see it very much as a positive that the, the people of the towns, of the cities of non-farming people, it's the only time they get to see what we're doing. If they don't see a farmer, they just see a field. They don't even know if it's wheat or barley, most people. Um, if they see livestock, they don't know if it's a, a meat animal or a dairy animal or whatever. And, and so, you know, let's just get a little bit of A4. We've all got a computer. Print out what's happening in that field and slap it on the style or whatever the entrance to the field is. This is what we do. If it's livestock, this is what they are. Please put your dog on a lead because actually your dog will get excited and chase after the sheep. Do it nicely, educate the people. Brilliant. And finally, I'll be interested in this one because you do listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, so your recommendation for a blog, podcast or social media account to follow, filming or non-filming? Farming, I would say you and because I'm in the pig sector, I listen to the real pay three. Um, yep. And then non-farming, I'm really hooked on Alistair um, and Tory. Um, Rory Stewart. Um, yeah. I love rest that. politics. Yeah, rest that's is the politics. second. That's the second shout out for rest is politics. Well, yeah, two weeks. I, I, I just two think weeks, those yeah. those two guys, what they know or what they don't know, is quite incredible. I mean, they must spend all their lives reading and travelling. Yeah, <laughs> but it's amazing. You know, Alistair Campbell, you know, I remember him from his days of power, and then actually hit listening to him now um, is quite interesting. And the way they disagree in a very pleasant manner with each other is not, it's nice to hear. And I wish 
more of society would do the same. Well, they're definitely taking the podcasting world by storm. Uh, we'll leave it there, uh, Mark. Thank, thank you, you so much, much for coming me. on. Oh, it's yeah, been yeah, an absolute pleasure. pleasure. Yeah, thank you. And uh, yeah, always good to have pigs back on. I will say it again, if you are a pig farmer and you'd like to come on the show, please do get in touch. Um, thank you very much for listening. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe to the show. Um, where if you're listening, leave us a review. Uh, next time, we'll be in the Yorkshire Dales uh, talking to fifth generation sheep and beef farmer there's another sheep and beef farmer for you mark tom carlisle <laughs> thanks again to mark for today and to our primary podcast sponsor Bayplan rural insurance for supporting the show any extra information is in the show notes uh, so check those out for now though i'm ben eagle this has been meet the farmers thank you very much for listening and i hope you have a great week